You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. Thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Now, normally in the introduction of the Friday podcast, I say something along the lines of, this is the last time we're going to have a chance to talk before the Bills take on whatever opponent on Sunday. But that's not the case this time, and it won't be the case moving forward during game weeks because I want to give you a weekend podcast. And so starting tomorrow, I am going to introduce a Saturday podcast that I am calling Tailgate Talk. And this stems from a conversation that I had with my brother, David, who enjoys listening to the podcast. And we were playing golf and he said, you know what, Joe, I enjoy listening to the podcast all week, but I wish I had something else to listen to on the weekend. You know, I'm all anxious for the game. I'm excited for the game on Sunday, but I don't hear from you on Saturday or Sunday before the game. You kind of do the Friday podcast and then you say goodbye and then we catch up on Monday. And I thought to myself, that kind of stinks. I don't want to leave you guys hanging. I don't want you guys thinking about the game and not being able to give you something to listen to where I share more thoughts on the upcoming game. And so We are going to implement this Tailgate Talk podcast. And the reason why I'm calling it Tailgate Talk is I think about being at the game on Sunday against the Houston Texans and being in the parking lots and having conversations with other Bills fans and thinking about how good those discussions were and how much I would enjoy those being recorded and used as a podcast. And so... My objective here is to recreate that type of dynamic and that type of a conversation that you can listen to on Saturdays at any point, right? Or you can hold it for Sunday before the game, whether you're driving to the game or driving to a family member's house or a bar that you want to watch the game at, and you'll have this type of conversation. So I'm calling it Tailgate Talk because it's designed to be one of those conversations that you would have with another fan before the game, while you're in the parking lots, tailgating, just talking football. And so that's coming your way tomorrow here on the Locked On Bills podcast. It's a, it's a normal episode under Locked On Bills. I'm calling it Tailgate Talk, and I'm kicking it off with none other than Sal Capaccio of WGR 550. And him and I have a conversation about Bills Chiefs, a very organic, not scripted, hey, let's just talk football. Let's talk about this football game And that's coming your way tomorrow. So a good opportunity here to make sure that you are subscribed. So if you like the idea, give credit to my brother, David, who uh, said, hey, man, don't leave us hanging on the weekends. Give us another pod. And so it's coming your way tomorrow. Tailgate talk here on the Locked on Bills podcast with my guest, Sal Capaccio. I think you will enjoy it very, very much. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to do our normal Friday stuff. Leftover thoughts, I'll give you my predictions, we'll do NFL draft prospects, we'll talk to Dr. Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills about the injuries. So let's get started with the leftover thoughts. And 
the prevailing thought that I have right now regarding this team that I've thought about all week is I'm really impressed with the depth of this roster. The Bills roster depth has absolutely been flexed this year. There has not been a single change to the 53-man roster since they created the initial 53-man roster. That is very rare. Usually there are changes weekly, if not every other week. The Bills are in week five, and there is nothing different about the 53-man roster today than there was when they initially got the cuts down to 53. And when you look through the roster, honestly, it's hard to find a player that has not contributed in a positive way to the season so far. And it's been four games. So when I think about the guys who really haven't made an impact, I only came away with three players. Matt Breida, F.A. Obata, who's been hurt. He played 15 snaps, but for the most part, he's not been available. And then Tommy Doyle, who is the eighth offensive lineman and has played nine snaps, but for the most part, he has not been needed. Every other player on the roster has contributed in a positive way to this football team. Let's go through the positions very, very quickly, and I'm not going to talk about the obvious things like Josh Allen at quarterback. You guys know he's contributed. I'm not going to talk about Steph Diggs or Cole Beasley or Emmanuel Sanders. I'm talking about depth. And so at quarterback, we've seen Mitchell Trubisky come in on a few occasions this year and close out the game. Scored a touchdown last week. He's had several kneel downs. He managed the game well against Washington, came in against Miami. I mean, you've seen Trubisky come in and close out games effectively and allow Josh Allen to not have to play meaningless snaps. At running back, I mean, Moss, Singletary, Gilliam, and Jones, they've all made very obvious impacts to the football team. Matt Breida, I've already singled out as somebody who has not really helped. At wide receiver, Jake Kumaro on special teams, he's also played 11% of the snaps on offense. Gabriel Davis hasn't caught a ton of passes so far this year, but he has played 39% of the offensive snaps. And Isaiah McKenzie has been a major factor in the return game. At tight end, the Bills are only rostering two, and obviously we're all excited about what we've seen from Dawson Knox. Meanwhile, Tommy Sweeney has been active every game and played 15% of the offensive snaps. At offensive line, you've already seen the depth here, right? Spencer Brown coming in and kind of claiming a starting role now. Ike Bakker is starting at left guard. Ryan Bates has played late in games. And so you've seen the offensive line depth matter, right? They've played Ford. They've played Feliciano. Pretty much everybody but Doyle has played some level of meaningful snaps. At defensive tackle, every single defensive tackle on the roster has played at least 17% of the defensive snaps. At defensive end, every single player on the roster, except for Obata, who I talked about, and Basham, who was active for the first time last week and had a sack, they've all played at least 39% of the snaps. You look at the linebackers. All of the depth linebackers have helped. Klein has come in and helped, right? He played... In, in replacement of Matt Milano last week, who was injured, and Klein played really well. You've seen Tyler Medikavich play well on special teams. He got the interception last week. Tyrell Dotson has played 11% of the defensive snaps so far this year, in addition to playing on special teams. And Andre Smith has been a core special teams player as well. 
How about at cornerback where Cam Lewis came off of the practice squad and filled in admirably for Taron Johnson last week? Saran Neal has been a big-time factor on special teams, and he's played 9% of the snaps on defense. Dane Jackson has played 25% of the snaps on defense and 31% on special teams, so everyone's helping at corner. And then at safety, you saw Jaquan Johnson start in place of Poyer last week, had an interception, played really well. DeMar Hamlin has played 11% of the snaps on defense and two phases of special teams. Hamlin has two pass breakups on the year in those 11% of the snaps that he's played. So we knew that Brandon Bean built a deep and talented roster, but when you kind of take this look at it and realize, wow, I think 50 out of 53 guys have really contributed positively to the football team already, it's pretty doggone impressive. And so I wanted to highlight here in my leftover thoughts the roster depth and just how much it has flexed so far this year. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is we consider players that are making an impact on the team. How about the rookie impact? Now, obviously, Greg Rousseau is a starting defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. His impact has been obvious. But also Spencer Brown, who is now the starting right tackle. Well, what's interesting about Rousseau and Brown? Both of them are players that did not play college football in 2020. Rousseau opted out of the season, and Spencer Brown's team, their entire season was canceled. So you have your two most impactful rookies being guys that did not play football last year. And when you take a further look at those two players, Greg Rousseau only really has one year of production at defensive end, converted from this like safety wide receiver type player at Miami to defensive end, had a really, really good 2019 season, didn't play in 2020. Meanwhile, he's a starting defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. Spencer Brown played tight end in high school in eight-man football and only has two seasons ever in his life with game experience at offensive tackle. And these guys have been the two most impactful rookies so far on the year for the Buffalo Bills. So I just thought that was really interesting, and I'm excited about both players. And when you consider all of that information the fact that they've been able to crack the lineup for this team that has so much depth, it speaks to great scouting process by the Bills, great scouting decisions by the Bills, great player development by the Bills, and great work put in by those two players to earn this opportunity. And we know players on the Buffalo Bills under Sean McDermott don't get anything that's not earned. And so I thought that was kind of exciting to kind of loop both of those talking points together to talk about the roster depth of this football team and the rookie impact and which rookies are making the greatest impact. Football is back and better than ever. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON to make sure you receive that bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. 
I'm joined now by Dr. Kyle Trimble of bangedupbills.com. You can follow him on Twitter at bangedupbills. And he joins us each Friday to talk injuries. And it's been a weird week when it comes to injuries, a lot of ebbs and flows. And we're, you know, still have a few more day, days until game day, but there's a lot to dig into. I think we should probably start, though, with some good news where there were players that did not practice on Wednesday or were limited on Wednesday, but were full participants in practice on Thursday. That list includes Spencer Brown, John Feliciano, Greg Rousseau, and F.A. Obata, all full participants in practice. So, uh, Kyle, I'm guessing you're feeling good about all four of those players' status for Sunday, but was interested if you had any thoughts on any of those individual situations. Uh, I do have a few thoughts. Looking at this injury report, it looks more overwhelming than it really is because most of the guys that were limited or did not participate yesterday are now full. That's not the entire list, but there's a lot more. So that's really good to see there. Uh, I'm going to start from the top as I look at the injury report. Spencer Brown was limited yesterday, or excuse me, Wednesday, and uh, the ESPN reporter, Elena Getzenberg, uh, that replaced Marcel, uh, she had tweeted out that Spencer dinged up the knee uh, in practice on Wednesday uh, this is the same knee that he injured in the Chicago Bears game. This is confirmed by, I saw a video from John Scott from Spectrum News that the brace was on the left side. So I still don't know exactly what Brown is dealing with, but this could be a recurrence from the Bears game, and they're just trying to take it easy with him, especially with the bracing. Um, at one point at the beginning of the season, he did have bracing on both knees. So uh, moving down, John Feliciano, to see that he is in full participation. They haven't officially announced he's pass the concussion protocol, but usually in practice in full, as long as he's not having symptoms later on, then he should be good to go. So I know that Sean McDermott had said that they like their starting five that they had out there uh, on Sunday, but Feliciano, I'm sure, is going to work back in because he's still a core member of that offensive line. Uh, moving down the list further is uh, Dane Jackson. Don't know what's going on with him. Uh, can't see which side, uh, which knee that he had uh, been dealing with, but it seemed like that also happened in practice. He was also coming off a knee injury, and I believe it was uh, week two, heading into week three. Uh, Teron Johnson looks good. I'm glad to see that he's recovered for his groin. That might have been a more of a uh, tweak that they said, "Let's we don't need you today. Let's get you out there." And the rain would have aggravated things if he'd slipped and slipped, uh, slipped all over the place. Uh, and then F.A. Obata uh, looked really good with regards to the fact that he's available, especially with some of the other defensive ends. And we'll get to in the. Um, discussion later that to see that he's going to be available and healthy uh, come Sunday. All right. So a lot of good news, even more good news than I teased, right? When I asked the question. So that's what we like. What we don't like is that Matt Milano has not practiced all week with a hamstring injury. Same thing with Taiwan Jones, a key member of the special teams units, but Kyle, I mean, if there's ever a game, you want a healthy Matt Milano, it's against Kansas city and I don't feel good about him playing on Sunday and maybe not even until after the bye week. So um, I'm guessing you don't have too many good things to say in terms of Milano and Jones and their prospects of playing on Sunday. So I, I don't have the best, uh, unfortunately. I, I want to preface this with, I want to be wrong in so many ways. I want him to play on Sunday and I want him to dominate Travis Kelsey and just do what Matt Milano does best there. But you got to look at the tea leaves. You got to look at what's out there. 
and how historically they've handled hamstring injuries. So on Sunday, or well, we knew that he went out with a hamstring injury after they reported the game on Sunday. We knew that he was considered day-to-day. That's anywhere from zero to two weeks from what I've seen historically. Um, and we're early on in the season. He seems to have these injuries um, yearly now. He's had a hamstring injury every year, but I believe 2018 is where he broke his uh, ankle. So he's had injury. He's missed one game after each of these hamstring injuries, with the exception of his first one in week two of his rookie year. So he's come back. He has not had a recurrence of that hamstring injury that season, which is important to note. So they are pretty good at uh, being conservative with the management of that hamstring injury. So I'm looking back. I'm thinking, well, this is a pretty big game. You want to still get him out there, though. So I went back through in great detail of last season, and I went into 2019 as well here. Anytime that guys had multiple do not participate with hamstrings specifically, they did not play. Uh, going through it, Reggie Gilliam, Taiwan Jones, Josh Norman, um, Matt Milano. Um, those were all the ones that they did not uh, play. The other one that did not play that had practiced in any sense was Vernon Butler. He had three limited participations and was questionable heading into, I believe it was week two and he was eventually rolled out. Actually that might've been week one, but either way early on in the season, um, but he's not trending in the right direction. He's not a player that needs practice, but historically we've seen Sean McDermott want his guys to be out there ready to go. You can't just say, I eh, don't practice to show up. I mean, that's not how successful teams be successful. You have to be out there practicing and get out there and do what you do. So, like I said, I want to be wrong, but I don't think he's going to play Sunday based off of the information we see there. And then even go back to 2019, any guy that was questionable, they had missed a prior game for that hamstring injury. I think the only guy that was questionable that played that week was Robert Foster, which, you know, Robert Foster wasn't that good after, you know, we saw everything that he did. So things are definitely not trending in the right direction. And then that same goes for Taiwan Jones. And he had missed, I believe, uh, two or three games last year. I believe it was two uh, before he came back. And I think the bye played a part into that. So not good news, but just trying to be realistic as well. No, that's what we want is honesty from you here on the podcast. And look, with the bye week, they have Tennessee next week. And then the bye week, I would not be surprised to not see Milano next week, but we'll have that conversation next week. Let's close out on a couple of defensive players or three defensive players that have been limited all week. For the most part, Tredavious White with a shoulder, He's been limited Wednesday and Thursday. You have Jordan Poyer with that ankle injury. He continues to be limited uh, every practice. And then you saw something pop up here with AJ Epinesa, a foot injury. It looks like it would have happened on Thursday during practice because on Wednesday he had no designation. So curious what you have for us on White, Poyer, and Epinesa. I'm going to throw Greg Rousseau in there too, because I want to leave him out. He's the only guy we haven't mentioned here today, but um, going in down the order again, Epinesa don't know what happened. Sounds like he injured the foot in practice. Um, he doesn't have a lengthy injury history. So hopefully it was just something he tweaked and they just, you know, held him out. Of course, if you injure something and you miss one rep, that's kind of limited. Conversely, if you only participate with one rep and miss the rest of practice, that's still limited. So we don't know how much he participated with practice, uh, moving down the list there further, uh, Jordan Porter, he remains limited, but in the videos I've seen, and Thad Brown of uh, Rochester News 8 said he's moving around great um, on the sidelines. Uh, John Scott of Spectrum News had great video of Poyer running around. I don't see how he doesn't play. 
The guy barely misses uh, games in his career. And I mentioned that last week on the podcast. So I think he's going to get up and he's going to play. Um, still don't, it's not clear what he's dealing with, but it's definitely not going to be enough that I don't think he's not going to play. Uh, and then Greg Rousseau, he popped up with a toe. I, I thought that was interesting because I went back and looked through the film. He played in 18 defensive snaps. He got in a few piles. There wasn't anything that stood out that said, oh, okay, this is a turf toe. When I see toe, I think turf toe. But I want to note that he had his ankle pretty taped up fairly well, uh, suggesting that maybe they want to keep the heel in contact if he had some type of um, support or plate in there so that when he's pushed off of his toe, he could push off his entire foot and not his toe and aggravate whatever's going on there. Let's say there was a minor you know, toe fracture or the turf toe, what have you. But I don't, he practiced a full today, which was a good sign. I don't see how he doesn't play, but I know a lot of people are worried, especially with how uh, promising he's been. And then rounding out the uh, list here, Tredavious White, he played in 34 defensive snaps. He was pulled early in the third quarter after the Bills went up 33 and nothing. Um, there wasn't a ton of contact he had with anybody there, but with the exception of one play. I went back through, and it was actually really surprising here. It was uh, 7-18 in the first quarter. Uh, he was running across the middle, and Farrell Brown, number 85, just gave him the nastiest forearm shiver with his left uh, forearm and just jacked up uh, Tredavious White. Tredavious White was kind of shocked. You know, got hit real hard and fell down. He got right back up, but I'm sure he was feeling that later. So if that's the reason why his shoulder's hurting, I, I would probably think I'd be in the you know hospital if I got a forearm shiver from, uh, from Farrell Brown. But that's the only time where I saw that Tredavious White could have had a shoulder injury. He's had other uh, neck and shoulder issues in the past, but uh, nothing that else jumps out from that. But if you want to go check that out, he, he drops him, which is really surprising. But considering the size difference, I suppose that's not surprising. So uh, overall, good injury report, but uh, there's still some concerns, namely being Milano, uh, Jones, and then uh, we'll see what happens with Poyer. No, you, you look at this list, and it's long, but it, and it feels complicated, but I think you summarized it really well there. It's it's Milano, right? It's prob- You're probably not going to see Jones. You're probably not going to see Milano, but everyone else that has bumps and bruises, it feels like there's a good chance that they could be available for Sunday. So, Kyle, we appreciate you. Uh, thanks for coming on and giving us your expertise. And, uh, you know, if you could help uh, Mr. Milano there with that hamstring, you know, any, any special treatments, you know, to get him, get him ready quicker uh, than we expect. That'd be great. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Joe. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, so many great flavors. And look, maybe you don't know where to start or you haven't tried all the flavors That's why you should get a mixed box. That's where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Try them all and see which ones are your favorites. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bars on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. I've got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's close out the week with my predictions for Sunday and my NFL draft prospects to watch on Saturday. All right, so it's prediction time. I've got five of them for you, four predictions 
of things that I think will happen during the game. And of course, I'll close it out with my prediction as to whether or not I think the Bills will win or lose. So my first prediction for Sunday is that the Bills offense will have 30 rushing attempts or more. When you look back to last year, the Bills had 23 rushing attempts in week six, 25 in the AFC championship game. The Chiefs have not been able to stop the run this year. The Bills have run the ball so much better than they did last year. And you've heard Sean McDermott talk about being two-dimensional on offense. If there ever was a game where you want that to be true, it's against the Kansas City Chiefs. So I expect the Bills to test their run defense a lot. I still think they'll throw it more than they run it, but I do think that the run game will be an emphasis for the Bills offense against Kansas City, and it should. You've heard me talk numerous times about the common denominator in Chiefs losses with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. It's that the other team was able to run the ball effectively and often, and I think the Bills are going to test this run defense on Sunday. Number two, I have Josh Allen with a completion percentage above 65%. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like a hot take to you, but Josh Allen is not completing 65% of his passes so far this year. Against the Chiefs last year in week six, he completed 51.8%, and in the AFC Championship game, he completed 58.33. I think you are going to see Josh Allen play a much more efficient game against Kansas City this this time around. And it's not going to be so much chasing big plays and embracing a track meet as it is being smart with the football and distributing it and keeping the offense on schedule. So I think you'll see Josh Allen spread the ball around and complete 65% or more of his passes. Number three, I think you will see 10 completions to running backs and tight ends by the Bills offense. I think that's going to be important this week. The Chiefs have struggled at linebacker. They're slow at linebacker. They're not great in coverage at linebacker. And so that's why it's a great opportunity to get the ball to Dawson Knox and the running backs. Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, get them going in the passing game. And the Bills really haven't done that so far this year. Running backs and tight ends combined on the year for the Bills are averaging seven and a half receptions per game. I think they get to 10 or more on Sunday as part of an offensive game plan that I think is going to be reliant on efficiency. And so that's why I think the run game and kind of the short passing game, if you will, to backs and tight ends will be a factor on Sunday. Number four, whichever team attempts more field goals loses the game. This is not a game where field goals are going to be enough. I'm expecting there to be plenty of points, and you need to score touchdowns. And the Bills learned a hard lesson in the AFC Championship game about settling for field goals against Kansas City. Three different times, I thought they should have went for it on fourth down, but they opted to kick a field goal. And so far, the Bills' red zone offense has not been great. Kansas City's red zone offense has. Their kicker, Harrison Bucker, has attempted three field goals so far this year. Tyler Bass has attempted 11. The team that scores touchdowns and not field goals and forces the opponent to attempt field goals and not score touchdowns is going to win this game. 
And so that's why I feel like whoever attempts more field goals loses. And that's going to require a flip of the script when it comes to the Bills' offense. Now, it's good news for the Bills' defense. They've been really good in the red zone. The Chiefs' offense has been really good in the red zone. So that's going to be a great struggle and battle to see. But the Bills' offense needs to finish drives with six. So here we are. Do I predict the Bills to win or lose? And I'm always going to be honest with you on this podcast. My prediction today is that the Bills lose. And it pains me to say that. And I'm sure right now you guys are mad at me and you don't like that I predicted the Bills to lose. I just feel like it's the smart thing to do. I think it's a smart prediction. Both teams need this game, right? We're talking about two teams that have aspirations to be the number one seed in the AFC and have home field advantage throughout the playoffs and get that first round bye. Remember, only one team gets a bye now. Both these teams, the Bills and Chiefs, want to be that team. Well, Kansas City is 2-2. Two and two. They're in last place of their division, and putting them into a 2-3 and three hole would be tough. So, not that either team is taking the, the opponent lightly, but my goodness, the Chiefs are coming from a place of desperation, in my mind, more than the Bills. We're talking about a Hall of Fame coach and Andy Reid and the best quarterback in the game in Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs are at home in this football game. And Josh Allen talked about Arrowhead Stadium being the most hostile environment he's ever been in and how challenging it was to play there in the AFC Championship game. And they had 17,000 people in attendance. Well, on Sunday, there's going to be 76,000 people making it hard for Josh Allen and the Bills offense to execute. And so if he thought 17,000 was tough, 76,000 is a lot more. And this Chiefs defense has to get better. I know they have struggled, but Steve Spagnuolo has been coordinating defense for a long time in the NFL. He's had seasons where they started very slow and it got better. And I don't know that the Bills offense is going to be their get-right game, but it has to start playing better eventually. And Spags has very successfully coordinated defenses to slow down the Bills in the past specifically Josh Allen, last year, twice. So the Bills have to prove that they can play offense to the level that they are capable of against the Chiefs' defense, even if the Chiefs' defense is struggling. I mean, obviously this Bills' defense has not been tested quite like they're going to be tested on Sunday. The Bills' defense is playing great. They have a lot of confidence. I wish they were going to have Matt Milano. So I have some concerns about how the Bills' defense is going to measure up in this game considering the magnitude of the challenge. And then lastly, the Bills just, they have to prove it, right? They've handled every opponent they've faced except for Kansas City. They have to prove they can do it. And until then, I'm just not comfortable predicting the Bills to beat Kansas City, especially at their place. If the Bills were at home, I could talk myself into it. On the road, without Milano, It's going to be a tough task. The Bills can win the game. Let's establish that. I think the Bills reasonably can win this game. There is absolutely a script for the Bills to win. I'm just not going to predict it here today on the podcast. And I also hope that I'm extremely wrong. And I'll be happy to admit that on Monday. 
All right, let's close out the week with my NFL draft prospects to watch. Again, these are players that I think the Bills could have some level of interest in and um, fit the Bills schematically and have marquee matchups on Saturday that you can pay attention to. So when you wake up, pet your dog, hang out with your family, and then at noon it's time to get dialed into college football at 12 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. Check out Oklahoma against Texas. And who I want you to focus in on is Oklahoma defensive tackle Perrion Winfrey. He wears number eight. He's six foot four, 292 pounds. And this guy is an explosive pass rusher. Was a junior college transfer last year. And he won last season just on athleticism and playing extremely hard with a ton of urgency. And now this year you're starting to see the technical refinement show up. So he's explosive, has a really dynamic first step. He's flexible, he can turn corners, and he plays extremely hard. And I like the idea of him as an interior pass rusher in the NFL, and I think for a Bills defense that is probably going to rework the interior defensive line a little bit next offseason, I think he'd be a wonderful backup to Ed Oliver that the Bills could target on day two. The next game, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, Georgia against Auburn. The focus here is Georgia offensive lineman Jamari Salyer, number 69. He plays left tackle for Georgia, but he has experience at literally every single spot along the offensive line. He just plays left tackle right now. Six foot four, 325 pounds. I like him at guard for the Bills. Uh, has a ton of power, good mobility, good versatility, and just that nasty demeanor that you see the Bills gravitate towards in the offensive lineman that they bring in to the building. And so obviously Auburn is a big time SEC opponent. So it'll be a great showcase opportunity for him. But as we consider the bills and where they can add to this football team, I think interior offensive line is definitely a spot. You know, they've already started multiple different players there. They have some contracts that they can get out of after the season. And so I think Salyer really kind of fits stylistically the type of player that they like to bring in, and then obviously the versatility that exists there uh, make him appealing. So check him out, a potential, I think, a day-two type player that the Bills could target. The last player to get into is at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on the ACC Network, Notre Dame against Virginia Tech, and the attraction here is Virginia Tech offensive lineman Lasitis Smith. He wears number 54. He plays left guard for the Hokies, six foot three, 315 pounds, and, man, he's a player that I really like. I studied him a lot over the summer, and he's taken a step forward this year. He's playing his best football of his career. Uh, for the Hokies, he plays that Wyatt Teller role, left guard. They love to pull him and get him play side. He's a wall in pass protection, and he just gets after it. He has that play temperament and demeanor that you love in an offensive lineman with you know, he's kind of got that balanced skill set as a run blocker and a pass blocker against 6'3", 315, the left guard there, number 54. So those are the NFL draft prospects to watch. It's hard to believe we've already talked about over 20 guys to have on your radar, and that list is only going to expand every week. So when we get to draft talk, you know, in that March-April range, there's going to be names that you're familiar with. And so I love that we do this here on our Friday podcast. So that is going to do it for us here today on the podcast, but not this week on the podcast. Tomorrow, tailgate talk with Sal Capaccio and I, and I think you are going to enjoy that. My goal with that is to bring on different guests and, like I said, simulate 
a tailgate-type conversation that you would have with other fans before the game. So Sal and I, tomorrow in your podcast feed. So don't miss it. Make sure that you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great Friday, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.